Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. The letter to the Hebrews is an anonymous sermon likely written by a disciple of Paul. Our author writes to an early Christian community experiencing struggle and persecution. We're also, we are meant to understand Jesus as the greatest high priest who fulfills the requirement of sacrifice with his life. With this sacrifice, the author begs of us all to consider the unique ways we as Christians are called to live our lives as disciples and encourage one another in the journey of faith. This is the 10th chapter of Hebrews, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. During this time of Thanksgiving, we are singing our our song before the sermon is Give Thanks, so please join me in singing. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. And now let the weak say I am strong, let the poor say I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say I am strong, let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. Have you ever started off on a project or on a journey only to get so far into it that you get maybe discouraged and you want to throw in the towel or turn around altogether. Of course, we all have some experience of that. Years ago, I took a group of high school students from my former church in California when I was still there before moving to Colorado on a week-long mission trip to Los Angeles. It was an urban mission trip. Uh, It was the kind of trip where you uh, sleep on a gym floor and you eat uninspiring spaghetti and you deal with gastrointestinal pestilence and 
teenage hormones, and, uh, and by the end of the week, everybody says, man, that was the best week I've ever had in my life. <laughs> you know those weeks. Uh, we, we were um, sent to this little small quarter-acre parcel of land in the city of Los Angeles, in South Los Angeles. This uh, lot had been neglected for years, maybe decades. Our mission was to transform this little field into an urban vegetable garden that would feed the poor. And so we were there to pull weeds, uh, to unearth rocks, to remove trash and debris. And I'm telling you, it was the worst job imaginable. The soil was as fine and dry as baby powder. These weeds were deep-rooted and thorny and stubborn. And we toiled under the July hot sun as these box trucks barreled by, spreading soot and smog everywhere through the city. It was, it was uh, miserable work. And after the first day of work, we realized that we really weren't there to plant a garden. You know, we were there to clear the field. And somebody else later on would come in and, and, and do the fun work of planting. Uh, it would take us the whole week just to clear that field. Um, and so by the second day of work, we, uh, we were getting a little grumpy and weary. And that's when somebody finally, somebody on the team finally snapped. He was dripping in sweat. He, um, his face was covered in that sooty dirt. And he struggled to dig up this old truck tire that had been buried in the ground. And he finally just lost it. He threw the shovel on the ground. He took off his gloves and threw those two. And he said, this stinks, and I'm done. This is hopeless. It's pointless. I quit. And this was the one guy on the team that nobody expected would lose it. I mean, everyone's jaw dropped in disbelief. No one knew what to say, and it felt like one of those make-it-or-break-it moments, you know. And that's when one of the girls on the team broke the awkward silence. She said, oh, come on, Pastor Mark, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's a true story. So have you ever started off on one of those projects or journeys only to want to throw in the towel? There's a lot of speculation these days that a growing number of people in America have given up on church after 20 months of living through a pandemic. I spoke last week about attending a conference in Kansas City just a few weeks ago. These are the uh, pastors and lay leaders of the 200 largest churches, uh, United Methodist churches in the country. Uh, vibrant, thriving, growing churches, especially pre-pandemic. And one of the early takeaways from that gathering was that uh, most of these churches, uh, on average, were, were seeing about a 50 to 60 percent in-person worship attendance. Uh, compared to pre-pandemic levels. These were the largest, strongest churches in our denomination. And there was, of course, genuine hope that people would eventually return if and when people feel more safe to do so. But there was also a widespread consensus that we don't really know. I mean, we don't know what church will look like in a post-pandemic world. And so the question is, will people ever come back? So some will, and some we know will not. 
But as a pastor, I only wish the question didn't sound so needy and consumeristic. This is no time for the church, any church, St. Andrew especially, to ever succumb to the tyranny of scarcity. And too many churches have fallen for this, this myth that says, if only we had more people in the pews, we could do greater things. But I've come to believe, especially in light of the pandemic, you know, the world doesn't need more churches with more consumers. And what the church needs and what the world desperately is what our community desperately needs are people who are deeply committed to the care of their souls, to the love of their neighbors, and to the redemption of the communities and the cities in which they live. I was getting a, a haircut just a couple weeks ago when the stylist asked me what I do for a living, and I have to confess this never really goes well for me. It's not that I don't like people to know what I do, but when they do find out what I do, they either become very defensive, like, oh, here's a judgy preacher, or they think, here's a really Jesus-y preacher who's going to try to, you know, convert me uh, right here in the salon. And so when I told the stylist that I was a pastor, she said reflexively, you know, I used to go to church before the pandemic. Before COVID, I used to go to church a lot, but, uh, but then they shut down, they went online, and now I've decided I don't need church anymore. I can just go on a hike in the mountains. Or I can just sit and watch the sunset and find God. I said, hey, I, I totally get it. I mean, be, be, during COVID, I, I, I realized myself I don't actually need a stylist to cut my hair. <laughs> I mean, I got a great pair of scissors and a big mirror. Uh, why not just give myself a haircut? But the problem is, every time I do give myself a haircut, I end up looking like Lloyd Christmas and Dumb and Dumber. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so let me ask, what about you? Are you in? That's the question over these three weeks in this sermon series. There's a book in our Bible that you heard Reverend Kendall read uh, from today. It's called The Letter to the Hebrews. Uh, it asks that question. Hebrews was written sometime uh, about 35 years after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it was written especially to address those who were Jewish converts to Christianity. They were scattered around Jerusalem, uh, and they had early on committed their life and their ways to following Christ, but then things started getting tough, and they started having second thoughts they had a pandemic at the time as well, and it was called Roman persecution. And that persecution had extinguished their fire for faith. Now, seeing your friends get fed to lions and seeing your family members get staked to crosses on the city streets, that'll have a, a profound effect on you. These believers started wondering if there was an easier way. And so many of them stopped going to weekly assemblies or gatherings for worship and for fellowship. The risk of public exposure was just too great. Rome had eyes on everyone and everything, and so the stakes were high, and the consequences of going to church were fatal. Yet the writer of Hebrews asks them, among other things, are you still in? Because his concern is this, how can you practice the faith? and truly come to know and love God apart from community, 
apart from the body of Christ. And many tried, and many, of course, today still try. Like my hairstylist, they wonder, can't you just find God in a sunset on a hike? I read recently, of course, now, we still call ourselves a Christian nation, but the facts say otherwise. According to the most recent Gallup poll, in the year 2000, that's 21 years ago, 67% of U.S. Americans, adults, said they go to church on a regular basis, either to church or synagogue or a mosque. They belong to a church, 67%. Now, 20 years later, this was done last year, 20 years later, that number had dropped by a full 20%. 47% today now report belonging to a community of faith. Even more compelling is this. While 24% of Americans attend a religious service on a weekly basis, that's 24%, uh, 40% actually consider themselves to be very religious. Almost twice the number of people that actually go to church. I get it. Organized religion, it's becoming almost passe in our culture. Many people tell me often, you know, look, I'm just not into organized religion. And I say, then you should come to St. Andrew because we're not organized at all, right? (laughs) But I do get it. I do get it. I mean, dogma can be so regressive and oppressive. Look at our denomination. Uh, Doctrine can be so archaic and irrelevant. Too many churches and too many pastors are self-serving and judgmental and anti just about everything. I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to pastor a church as one of those churches. That's not our religion. Unfortunately, I worry that it's becoming the norm in America. Let me say this. There's nothing wrong with searching for God in a sunset or on a hike. But can we at least be honest about something? That sunset requires nothing of me in return. Nothing. That sunset doesn't tell me that I have an obligation to love my neighbor, especially the one that I don't really like so much. It doesn't challenge me in my limited, flawed perspectives about other people or about the world. It doesn't command me to love my enemy or adversary. That sunset doesn't tell me that I must forgive those who have hurt me. It doesn't command that I go and seek forgiveness of those I have hurt. That sunset has never once showed up on my doorstep with a casserole when I'm sick. It's never told me, Feldmeyer, you can do better, or Feldmeyer, you could be a better human being. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we need more than a sunset if we are ever to find and follow God in this world. And in today's scripture reading that you heard, he calls out those who have thrown in the towel and sent them out. And he points to two very specific reasons why we need to recommit ourselves to living and practicing faith in community together, to be all in. And the first of those reasons is this. The more we are exposed to the beauty of God in Christ, the more we become beautiful ourselves. The writer points to Jesus, who by his sacrifice gives us He says, a clean conscience, a pure heart, and an assurance that we belong to God. He puts it this way, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, 
Let us approach with a true heart and full assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, here in this place, in communities like this, we remember the goodness of God who got us here. This is a goodness that we didn't deserve, and it's a goodness we couldn't imagine. And it's a goodness that says one thing. It says you are good. You are good. Before you have done anything good, before you have done anything that's not so good, God in Christ says you are good. You're accepted. Can a sunset say that? The late theologian Paul Tillich, he said that we, we all need to hear this message that we are accepted. What he was really famous for his theology was this. That he said the universal human condition is one of what he called estrangement or separation from God. Tillich, he critiqued this idea that sin is some particular act or some particular behavior. He said before sin is any of that, sin is an experience of being cut off from ourselves and from our neighbors and especially from our, the ground of our being, as he called it, God. And he says to be human is to live with this chronic sense that we are estranged from something to which we really belong, he said, and with which we should be reunited. Tillich said that Christ is the one who says we are accepted. And in one of his famous quotes, he says this, Sometimes a wave of light breaks into our darkness, and it is as though a voice were saying, you are accepted, accepted by that which is greater than you, accepted by that the name of which you do not even know. And he said, after such an experience, we may not actually be better than we were or even believe more than we did before. But he said, everything is transformed. In that moment, grace conquers sin or estrangement, and reconciliation bridges the gulf. Nothing is demanded of us, he says. Nothing is demanded of us except one thing, acceptance. To accept that we are accepted. Knowing that we are accepted by God, as the writer of Hebrews says, gives us confidence to enter into God's presence. We can do that. And over time, the more we are in the presence of God, in the presence of God's beauty, the more beautiful we become. Here in this space, this is the incubator of beauty. How does that work? St. Augustine, the great theologian of the fourth century, said, we imitate whom we adore. And what he meant was we become whatever it is we give our loyalties to. Whatever we love and adore in this world, we become that. And when we worship beauty, we become beautiful. Lovett Weems is a leading voice on church leadership, and he wrote a book about a decade ago that has stuck with me. He defines worship as the exposure to the beauty of God in Christ. The more that we are exposed to that beauty, the, the more beautiful we become. And Weems wrote something in this book that, that has long spoken to me, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm also a father. And he speaks about the value of church for our young people. Uh, Weems says, uh, is there a consequence for not attending worship each week? 
He says, there is something missing in the character development of children who have never met the Good Samaritan, never learned the golden rule, never heard the prophet rail against injustice or bowed their heads in prayer or felt their spirits soar in a hymn of praise or known the community of the crowded pew. He goes on, the soul and character of a human are weaker for such neglect. Such children are less equipped for the journey of life that will take them through the troubled waters of ethical dilemmas to vistas muddled by the fog of uncertainty, up dilemmas, mountains of adversity, and by dry stream beds of fatigue that come to every life. In those moments, God is our provision. Without communion with God, what do we have? These children, he says, will soon grow into adults without the rich resources they need to live a fruitful life. Okay, can you find that in a sunset or on a, on a hike? Maybe you get glimpses, but the writer of Hebrews asks us, are, are we exposing ourselves to the beauty and the strength and the wisdom of God experienced together? That tells us we're accepted. There's one more reason that we ought to recommit ourselves to living in faith community together, according to this great writer of the Hebrews. And it's that, that love needs to find form and intimacy. Listen to what he said. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. In the Greek, the, the original word here, um, for provoke is this great word paroxymos, from which we get the word paroxysm. I had to look it up. Um, but, you know, a paroxysm is like, a, it's like an outburst, uh, but in original Greek here, it, it means something like to jab or to poke or to stab or to irritate. Now, this is sounding like the church. <laughs> I love this, imitation, this interpretation of Scripture. Let us Consider how to jab and poke and irritate each other to love and good deeds. Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes we need someone to say to us, you can do better. The sunset won't tell us that. Sometimes we need someone to say, hey, how's your faith? Are you neglecting your prayer life? Sometimes we need someone to say, get off your lazy donkey and go serve the world. Go wash feet. Go feed hungry people. Faith demands that we get involved. Love needs real, concrete, human form. It needs a body. It needs a body of Christ like this. Bono of, of you two, he told the story once of going to St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin on Christmas Eve for worship. And he had been on tour for many months, and he was exhausted, but he, he wanted to go to church, and he, he did. He was given this, of all people, he was given a seat behind one of these great pillars. He couldn't see a thing. And uh, so he started falling asleep. He was tired. He was bored. He kept himself awake by studying one of these bulletins that you have. But as he was just reflecting it, he said, it dawned on me for the first time. The idea of God 
if there is a force of love and logic in the world, that it would seek to explain itself as amazing enough, but that it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child born in straw poverty? Just the poetry. Unknowable love, he said, unknowable power describes itself in human form. And he said, I was just sitting there, and tears came down my face. I saw the utter genius of God picking a particular point in time in history because, he says, love needs to find form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Sometimes it needs to be shouted. What he was saying, I think, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Um, divine love is found in human form, in the form of Christ, in the form of the body of Christ called the church, where people together are provoked, prodded, jabbed, irritated, stabbed to good deeds, to love. You can't find that love and intimacy in a hike. You find it in community. You find it in the provocation of flesh and blood. Maybe there really are some people who can find God and live a, a fruitful life without church. There probably are. I just confess I'm not one of them. I've learned that I can't find God apart from people, even imperfect, irritating ones. I need people in my life who are willing to call me on my stuff. I need people who are honest enough uh, to give me grace and forgiveness when I've blown it. People who, uh, who challenge me when I'm thinking too small. That kind of work, as you, maybe you've noticed, it's awkward, it's tedious. Sometimes it's irritating. In the church, we will from time to time let it, each other down. We will swing and miss. We're going to drop the ball. We're going to make serious blunders. We're going to mess up. We're going to get angry with each other. And have you noticed, though, moments later, we're going to sit down and have a potluck together. We can disagree and get irritated, and we're going to show up for each other and hold vigil in a hospital waiting room. We're going to drop off a casserole for that new family, those new parents. Um, church is weird this way. Even the best churches will make you want to walk away. But for me, it's the very thing I need. I need to be in the presence of God's beauty if I'm ever to know myself as beautiful in the eyes of God. And I need to be in a community of faith where on any given day, I can walk into this space and maybe somebody will shank me with love in the name of Jesus. Takeaways for today. The more we are exposed to the beauty of God in Christ, the more beautiful we become. Love needs to find form and intimacy. Provoke one another to love and good deeds. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.